Welcome to the Bonus Podcast, guys. I'm the host, Donato Surbonas, and I'm joined by my smiling colleague. Smiling, uh, he replaced me as sunshine, Lutonia, because we don't have such one. So, Donatas is here. Ritis is missing. Ritis is sick. But to be honest, I think that Ritis is just sick of Panaiko's success. So, he just couldn't uh, show up. He knew, he saw the topics for this uh, podcast that Donata sent us over. Yeah. Uh, during the weekend, and he was like, Pao, we're gonna talk about Pantanaikos winning the games. Nah, I'm, he not, also, I'm not going to show up. He also watched the game, he watched the greatness of yeah. Pantanaikos, and they're not, now like top four, right? So he cannot stand Pao's success anymore. I, I think so. I think he saw. So he said that he's going to show up in the podcast again when Pantanaikos start losing, actually. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. cool. Who are they playing? Uh,. But anyway, I'm going to expose you. Well, like, that's a good was, question. Uh, they're going to, they're coming to Konas quite, ah, quite soon. Really, in a double uh, week? In the next, yeah, in the next week, that is going to be a double week, and they're going to be here in Konas, uh, just as Anadol FS. Um, but anyway, that game was like that game had um, so many, let's say, highlight plays. We're gonna talk about the game later. I have a surprising topic for you. Wow, surprising topic. Yeah. You start... He, he, I was smiling at the start of the podcast because this guy was talking 10 minutes in Serbian-English accent and now a surprising topic. Yeah. Okay, go. Go, so, Brate. First of all, first of I all. have to say that nowadays we're facing a huge competition as the podcast because there's so much great content on on internet, on YouTube. And one of my recent discoveries was Chimon Moneke wow. channel. He put some nice videos over there. And that's good. I mean, when Basket News cannot do a co- do content about you because Basconia is not allowing. So that's good that players, you know, they try to do some content by mm-hmm. themselves. And, you know, that's that's great. Uh, and, you know, Chimo is putting all his heart uh, behind that content to, to make it interesting. So that's, that's first. I also found Michael Porter's podcast and he had a really nice conversation with Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. I think that Nik- Nikola showed the other side of his personality or I would say the deeper side of his basketball personality and for sure for especially for those who have some, you know, uh narratives about Nikola, how much he doesn't care about basketball, that he is just horse race guy. I mean you're going to listen to his thoughts and ideas and you're going to understand that you were completely wrong and just one just another proof that he's he's such a big basketball mind and he thinks about a lot of different things so that's second and the third one is the m- most recent podcast most recent new podcast by Dwayne Wade uh, it's called The Why and uh, the first podcast he called it like Pantheon and he invited Pau Gasol, Dirk Nowitzki, Dirk. and Tony Parker. It was a two-part uh, podcast, and I've just listened uh, to it uh, throughout the weekend. And I have to say, it was very interesting. Although it it kind of it was a little bit of I would say um, interview rather than a podcast. But Dwayne, in some situations, and also Tony, because he's doing stuff for Squeak in France, they kind of try to make it more dynamic. And it it there were a lot of interesting thoughts and. One thing that stuck to my mind and one thing that I wanted to ask you actually is the European GOAT conversation. Uh, those legends behind that table, 
behind Dwayne, Dwayne Wade's table, they kind of agreed that Dirk Nowitzki is a European GOAT. And I would say I agree with it. Uh, he won the championship with Dallas Mavericks. I wouldn't call them, you know, powerhouses. Uh, I wouldn't call them the big market team that was supposed to win. He did there. He made he made his teammates better. Uh, um, he went through a lot of ups and downs, you know, to to achieve this great great uh, achievement. And but I just thought, and I remember that, that Tony brought uh, Paul Gasol into the goats conversation, saying that there's like Gasol's case is debatable. So, uh, but I would say that Dirk is number one and Paul Gasol is number two. But to be honest, I was just thinking about those guys. We have jersey of some of them. There's Yanis Antetokounmpo winning the first NBA title. There's Nikola Jokic uh, winning the, his first NBA title. They both play for small market teams. They both made those small market teams relevant, I would say. They both want the NBA as the franchise players, different from Paul Gasol's case, right? Because it was yeah. Kobe's team. Mm. Gasol was amazing number two, but he was not number one as Yanis Antetokounmpo and Nikola Jokic were. So I would put them in the same tier list with Dirk Nowitzki, just due to Dirk's longevity. He's the sixth uh, all-time NBA scorer. You know, played twenty-plus seasons in one team. Mm. You know, a lot of great things, great personality. Mm. I still mm. give an advantage to Dirk, but I, I, I already putting uh, Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo at the same tier list. And okay. my question was. What do you think, what else do they have to do in order to be considered European GOATs? I think uh, Dirk is still number one, just because for how many years he played, how many points he scored, how many great seasons he had. Longevity is often overlooked, yeah. I think, and we can see this with uh, LeBron James. Nowadays, you know, he's playing at this age. He's like the only guy that can still play at this level. All the other guys at the age that LeBron is right now in the league are not doing are doing way worse. And he's doing that in 20 plus seasons. So I think longevity is overlooked, and that's why I think Dirk is still the GOAT. But what I do believe super strongly is that somebody is overtaking him. And that somebody is, I think, like Nikola Jokic is going to end up as a European GOAT player ever after he finishes his career. But, you know, he's still uh, young, let's say, in comparison to how long Dirk played. And, you know, him and Giannis and Luka still have things to prove in the NBA. Okay, they have won. They have uh, a title, uh, except Luka. But uh, those two guys, Giannis and Jokic, I think needs a couple of more years, you know, to their, to their career to, you know... Once they finish their careers, I think they're going to be considered number one and number two over Dirk, just because they have been, they have been MVP candidates in every season, basically, for the last uh, four or five years. And they're going to continue doing so. So who knows if they're not going to win more titles. And, you know, just looking at Nikola Jokic's stats and advanced statistics, you know, the eye test, we all see that. The passes, the gravity hit tracks on the court how the defenses try to guard him. They're trying everything. But he's doing passes that nobody has seen ever before. But the advanced statistics on top of that say that he's like the most, has the biggest impact that a player 
has ever had on the court. So uh, after you know eight, nine years, whatever, when Jokic finishes, when Jokic finishes career, I think he's going to be the number one. That's for sure because he already has a title, and who knows how many more he might win there in Denver. Do yeah. you do you agree? I agree. I completely agree. And uh, it's just that Nicole is 28, Yanis is 29, and by the way, Dirk won his first NBA, first and only NBA ring when he was 33 years old. Hmm. So that's that's a huge advantage for those guys. But as Dirk said, you cannot take it for granted. He also thought that with that Dallas team, when they actually had this shot at winning the NBA when they were up by uh, 2-0 uh, against Miami Heat, he thought that Dallas is going to be there for years, you know. So maybe we're kind of taking it for granted in Nuggets' case. The Milwaukee is probably a little bit different no. because things, things can ch suddenly change. Somebody might get injured. Somebody might get traded. And this second opportunity to have a legit shot at winning NBA might be really difficult. Winning a title in the NBA is, I don't know how many times harder than here, let's say winning a EuroLeague. Uh, you have to be consistent all season. You have to click at the right time. You have to avoid injuries in the playoffs. You can have a great team every year. Look, look at the Clippers. They have the roster each year that are saying, oh, they're one of the favorites. But once the playoff comes, you know, you have, <clears throat> you have uh, Paul George, Kawhi always going down with injuries. And it's so hard to, let, let's say, Let's say if Denver, Denver loses uh, some guy in the Western Conference Finals last year, Aaron Gordon gets injured. They're probably not winning that 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 title because remember Chris Paul's situation in Houston against the Warriors. He gets injured uh, late in the series. They lose the series in the Western Conference Finals. And that might have been their best chance actually to win the title. But, you know, nobody remembers if you're going to the... Western Conference Finals. Everybody remembers just just the winner after ten or twenty years, and that's that's super hard to do. They they weren't they weren't even the favorites. Uh, I'm talking about Dirk now in Dallas in 2011. Oh, yeah. You know you had LeBron and the big three in Miami against you. So that was I, I still remember that series. It was Dirk was playing absolutely phenomenal as well as yeah other guys. I love what Dirk actually said about this current generation of international stars. Because first of all, Dwayne Wade also said it very correctly that Gazal, Tony Parker, and Dirk they they made they created an era of new international superstars. They were the first international superstars that won the NBA, that won the MVP uh, award like Dirk did in 2007, I think, or or I don't remember exactly, but something around that. Uh, but What I loved about Dirk's response, especially when he was behind that, you know, superstar table considered as the GOAT, European GOAT, he said that he's so proud of watching these new guys, you know, mm. taking over, dominating the NBA game. Uh, he said that those records are here to be broken, you know, so, it, and it was just this natural response by by the current GOAT, you know, just looking forward, what guys like Yanis, uh, Nicola, and, and, and Luca might do in the nearest future. So it was, again, interesting conversation. A lot of good content uh, mm -hmm. over there. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I've watched the, what you mentioned, the Chimas uh, uh, videos. I just, I just love that uh, players are doing more content each and every day, and especially in Europe because we are now used that Americans are doing a lot of content, uh, especially the playoffs, you know, Paul George podcast, you know, Draymond Green, 
commenting the games right after they finish. JJ Reddick, my favorite one, my favorite podcast to, to listen each week. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad more Europeans, more Europeans, I didn't say. Yeah, I'm still waiting for this Shane Larkins, <clears throat> Mike James and Bill Clyburn's podcast. That should be dope. Mm, who knows if it happens. But I have to be, I have to say that we're still in the race. We still produce a good content, and this week we're gonna have a, another retro episode of, mm. uh, I would say, one of the biggest and probably the biggest Euroleague miracle ever. Uh, and also, I, I had Scotty Wilbekin on film session, so we went through some of his highlights that I believe that many forgot uh, about mm. some of those moments. And Scotty tried to be more in depth about some situations so it was also good stuff and we're going to publish it on our youtube on basket news youtube channel uh, and of course big shout out to our beyond plus members we have at this point we have 719 beyond plus members we have a group uh, of new gms and our gm subscribers are nicola belich Dave Gassman, Yunut Georgescu, Kimon. And also we have a solid group of all-stars with Gabriel Serva, Nico Zinio, T. Walt, T21, Stefan Staminic, Koki, Nikola R. Baltvarn, or Baltvarne, Kostas B, Victory, Euroleague Fantasy Talks, Igor, Nick, BG. And there are also some other GMs and all-stars that they didn't want have their names published or, mm. or mentioned. Uh, they're just like anonymous. We have a group of uh, in in our BM Plus community. We have head coaches, yearly head coaches, GMs, players. I saw some players, so that's that's a really solid group that you can join on basketnews.com/slash/plus and not just get a lot of extra features that we suggest with extra uh, or bonus podcast Q and A session that we're going to have this week. So prepare your questions. Uh, some other extra content uh, like Augusta's breakdowns or additional parts of the interviews that we do. But also, great thing that we have is this BN Plus uh, fans community, that they chat about basketball, that they share their opinions, that they they tell some context that we as an outsider, we, we are not aware of it. And it was great to meet Yonut Gergesko, our GM, last week in Konas. He is the GM of the Romanian club. He's, I would say, future GM of, of some high-level EuroLeague or EuroCup teams, whatever. Mm. He has a lot of interesting mm. ideas, uh, bright uh, bright mind, um, and has a great approach to be successful in the future. So, yeah. I met him too before the game. Yeah. Uh, so before the Jalgiris Fenerbahce game, we chatted for like, what, 15 minutes and just uh, happy to see the community members that... You know, we often just uh, read chatting yeah. in the group, so now we can meet them. You know, he was he was here for the Euroleague sports management uh, thing, and uh, so it was super cool to, to to just share ideas and listen. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's get back to the one of the hottest Euroleague teams at the moment, Pantnai, because they won eight from last ten, and the only Real Madrid matched them with the current ten game streak. They also mm. eight uh, and two. Big game against Partizan, big important win against Partizan to establish themselves as a top four team at the moment. What what were the biggest highlights uh, for you from that game? I have a couple of things note, uh, in my notes. First of all, it had some crazy highlights, I think, in this game. Uh, we had Balša Koprivica poster over Costa Santetokounmpo. 
that was mean. And in the in the replay, Costas was like, "Oh, he hit my face or something." So it was even more like, "Okay, that was that was that was a good dunk." Uh, then there was a block by Kendrick Nunn. Chase down, chase block, down right. block, and it was like, first of all, I was like, "Okay, a point guard, you know, a guard getting a chase down block is impressive." And then I watched the replay, the recovery, like the speed and the timing, because he jumped way before um, mm-hmm. Mateusz Ponitka actually released uh, actually you know jumped himself and released the ball so it has to be he used all of his wingspan to reach that ball and in the slow motion it, it looked it looked fantastic the timing the run back all of that stuff it brought it brought back me Tyshawn Prince block memories to be honest okay that was that okay. was a great chase down block man it was great but you know the the, the game the timing of the course, opportunity of course. Yeah. yeah but just and then I loved uh, Matthias Lasort uh buzzer beating dunk in the third quarter so it was like Slukas over kept the ball didn't create anything uh Lazor catches it with 2.7 seconds he's on the three-point line with his back to the basket and I'm like there is no way he's getting off a shot in time it's going to be the the the, the shot violation and it's like Matias Lazor somehow some way in 2.7 seconds drives to the rim and not only makes the shot but dunks it you know, again, there was Koprivica there. Exactly, they was there exactly also. Exactly, they was there. You can, you cannot. There were two ca- big bodies. Yeah, you cannot call it rim. a poster, but it's like because it's going both are going sideways. Crazy dink. But it was a su- superb moment and was okay. The game itself was very, very defensive, but those highlights made it uh, made it really fun. And um, Pau's defense was the biggest highlight probably in the fourth quarter. Pau's defense have been winning games for them, and I think it has been the biggest highlights for for me watching planet and i cause this year in general you mean this right? year in general mm-hmm. yeah they are the top three defensive team in the league and uh you know we had mike james uh commenting that i think what he said a little bit his Jerrine's grand's defense is a little bit overrated or uh, I, I, he, it's he not a quote that, um he, he wouldn't say that individually he's like an amazing defensive player yeah. or that he is the main reason of good Panahanko's defense. It's more about Pau being a defensive team mm. and others also helping yeah. or like Pau just sending double or triple uh, defensive yeah. uh, teams. That, that's, what, that's what they did in this game too. You know, they, have, they always have uh, two guys on the ball like really high up, higher than the three-point line. So it's, so it's super hard to, for the guards to play against Panathinaikos. That's why I always... Uh, sell my fantasy players uh, when they play against Montenegros. And it always felt that as soon as the first defensive coverage was beaten by by the offensive player, there was another player jumping in and just just stopping the guy. I mean, and mm. guys, they were so good at rotating, at helping, timing was amazing. I mean, they were always uh, running in defense at, at full speed. So, I mean, it was a great defensive, uh, I don't know, um, you should you should show this game. You should yeah. pa- show Panhaiko's defense as an example to to some other teams. And one thing you have to uh, you just noticed when you're watching Panhaikos is how active their hands are. <sighs> and it's not just with Grant, Grant, but everybody when they're in in the gaps, uh, when they're on the weak side, everybody has uh, everybody has their hands up. And in the first quarter, I think they had four steals. In this game, PJ Dozier on the on the on the other side for Partizan was also great. You know, defensively with his hands, he had three steals in the first quarter. But uh, Powell basically scored so many points 
after uh, turnovers. Uh, I think they they really they outscored Partizan in that category. And to me, uh, the biggest still the biggest difference maker was Duran Grant and uh, his defense on James Nunnally. So remember, Nunnally is coming off a game uh, against Maccabi where he scored a lot of points in three quarters. He was out of the game because of two unsportsmanlike fouls to, to begin the fourth quarter. And, you know, Mantas, you can play the Durant Grand Clips defensively. But uh, Nunnally finished the game with 13 points, but he scored uh, uh, none of those points against Durant Grant in half court. He had, uh, I think, 10 points, uh, you know, in transition or eight points in transition. And a free pointer he had after an offensive rebound. And look at this. Look at how he's chasing uh, Nunnally and then, you know, going under the screen and just stealing the ball. Some some great clips here. Uh, you know, just look at him. Nunnally trying to play hostage. Then his active hands. Maybe there is some contact there. but And it, and it leads to a transition basket. So this this is how Pantanaikos are winning games. Here, you know, Nunnally is trying to post him up. Then tries to set a screen, you know, for Balshakoprivitsa to go maybe to the rim, offensive foul, and and it was actually a, a story of the game, I would say, because Partizan they had a lot of issues trying to score in the half court half court offense, mm-hmm. and it, especially in the fourth quarter, it was the same. They basically scored from okay, there were some, uh, huge, let's say whether it was a huge mistake by Pathnaikos half-court defense or it was just some transition situations or free throws. Yeah, you can say that some shots, they just didn't couldn't make some shots, although they were like in and out, you know, they were really mm-hmm. close. Maybe they were lacking of some luck, but Pathnaikos did their best in, in, in defense, that's for sure. Lazor's uh, rim protection in the fourth quarter, uh, mm-hmm. it was crucial as well. So a lot of good defensive moments uh, for that team. Yeah, and so as I mentioned, you know, Nunnally finished with 13 points. But when guarded by Duran Grant, he was zero from four from the field and had a turnover and had two turnovers. One in the first half that led to Gregonis three-pointer that we saw and one offensive foul. So basically he had a, you know, an average game. He reached his average 13 points, but all uh, he did that, you know, in transition and after offensive rebounds. So that was, that was, I think, a fantastic job. And, you know, some people say, Powell are fouling a lot. Like the the refs are not calling uh, fouls against Panathinaikos. But if you play and they're playing this physical defense in in, in every game, uh, the refs are just going to adjust at the, your level of uh, physicality. physicality. So you you are going to get away with some fouls in in each game. So uh, this is this is I think a really positive sign for Panathinaikos that they're winning games by their defense. And if they get a home court advantage, it's going to be really, really tough for, for the teams to, to beat them because in, in Oaka, uh, that Oaka is again one of the among the loudest gyms in Europe. You know, they were, they were not between the loudest and most uh, had most people in the last couple of years. Now they, that uh, they have a strong team again, they're winning. That, that gym is super hard to play in. Yeah, and on the offensive end, uh, they had some players who also stepped up big in, in those clutch moments. I would say that, for instance, Dinos Mitoglu, it feels like the guy has the skill 
to make the most important shots. Whenever you feel that, oh, this is the time when Panhaikos needs to score badly, there's Dinos Mitlulu making the three-pointer, making a mid-range jumper, making some f- uh, tough shots around the rim. So the guy has has clutchness in his game, I would say, to, mm. to step up in big moments. And of course, there was uh, Kostas Lukas also hitting big shots in the second half. I think, I think that in the first half, he, he had only two points. Uh, but he stepped up big in the second, and was uh, and he was he was really important for the team. So it was just very solid all around performance by mm. Panhaikos. Big win, they deserved that win. Yeah, Partizan they didn't have Kevin Punter, and that's where James Nunnally's thirteen point performance is not enough in this case. You know, in any other case where Kevin Punter was on the court, maybe it was enough. You know, in this case they need more of James mm. Nunnally's performance. But Panathinaikos is is playing really, really solid basketball at the moment. Yeah, I love this Lucas and Kendrick Nunn duo, to be honest. You know, one is more of a scorer, the other one is more of a passer. I think they're playing a lot since Ataman is keeping short rotations. You know, seven guys are basically playing. And so their duo, I think, uh, fits well. Yeah, they're both undersized guards, let's say. Uh, both are... Uh, let's say, can be attacked defensively, but they're doing an amazing job of, of you know, hiding them. And both are, both these guys are doing excellent, you know, with their energy. Yeah, they're putting a huge effort. Yeah. I mean, Kostas Lucas with his defensive rotations, I think he forced Caboclo to turn uh, the ball mm. over twice in the fourth mm. quarter. Just with his active hands, uh, being very clear what they're doing with the defensive rotations and Jaran granted there was the same play of, uh, with Caboclo as well it felt like as soon as Caboclo was facing um, some aggressive defense by the guard uh, coming from, from, from the rotation it felt like he didn't know what to do with the ball and he was just mm. uh, turning the ball over and Panaikos just executed uh, it really well. And I would say they stopped Caboclo. It didn't feel like Caboclo had a good game, not at all. Mm. Uh, just last thing about this game, I think for me, is uh, what we're doing with the NBA signings. My last note, because um, Juancho Hernan Gomez in Panathinaikos, I compare... This is just the stats. Uh, first six games in the EuroLeague, he was playing uh, almost 23 minutes per game. Okay, he was he he struggled shooting the ball, only 31% from the field. He was making 4.5 points per game. Now in the last nine games, in I'm taking I'm taking uh, I'm talking about only stats in the EuroLeague. In the last nine games after the injury, he's playing only 13 minutes per game. Uh, less than four points. The field goal percentage is still super low, 32%. He seems to be, you know, a filler on the court uh, because Ataman is holding that seven-man rotation really strong. Juancho's played seven minutes, I think, in this game yeah, uh, or eight. eight. And, uh, you know, so his minute average from thir- 23 is has dropped to 13 only. And on the other side, Frank Kaminsky, in the eleven games of in eleven games in the Euroleague, uh, he was playing eighteen minutes and making almost ten points per game on fifty nine percent shooting. In the last seven games after coming back from an injury, also he's playing only eleven minutes per game and he's making six points, forty seven percent field goal shooting. And obviously, the biggest thing why his minutes have dropped is his defense. And uh, so you know, these two are NBA guys 
who played in the league for so long, but just can't find a spot here in Europe. And uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see how their seasons are going to continue. Are they going to, again, carve out their roles and be strong rotation players? Or are they going to continue playing around 10 minutes and that's it? What, what, do, what do you think? I loved what Juancho did in, at the start of the season. I loved his off-court game, uh, off-ball game. I loved uh, his all-around performance. He, it felt like he was making an impact with all those little things, except from points, and it's okay on a team like Panathinaikos. But at the same time, now you can see that you know he doesn't have any trust and confidence from Ergin Ataman. And uh, he's also not feeling comfortable on the call uh, on the court. There was some horrible mistake, like he was about to pass the ball, but it yeah. just slipped, and it was just a horrible situation. And I think it was followed by another situation where probably he lost the ball. And you could see from Ataman's body language that he just he just looking for for a chance to sub him, uh, yeah, to sub him out. So that's true, and it's bad because in Ataman's team, it's really hard to earn the confidence or uh, to get the confidence back, get get the trust back. Because we can see in, in those minutes and those averages that he has high confidence and high trust on some of the guys and others, like in Ephes, we remember examples yeah. like Petrushev, some some other guys, Janan Musa. If, if you don't show up, if you don't prove yourself in those opportunities it's really hard mm. to, to get back on track with uh, Ataman it's also hard for Juancho because I think the play style of Ataman doesn't really fit him that that well because uh, the fourth position players in Pants and Icos, you see even Dinos Mitoglu he doesn't have many plays for him he just he's a catch and shoot guy he's a cut and shoot guy but he's confident in himself he had a great run since the beginning of the season He's making all those little shots. When whenever he's open, he gets the ball. I always, all of a sudden, think he's going to make it. Yeah, that's how confident he yeah. looks at the moment. And with Juancho, right now that he's playing such a little amount of minutes, he's also, you know, Scariolo in the Spain national team. He used him a lot more off the ball, cutting, just playing off the down screens without the basketball. Here you have Panathinaikos guards controlling all the game basically and I think this is why it's so hard for Juancho and just uh, like I said I'm intrigued to see how it how their relationship evolves and and how his minutes are going to fluctuate but on the other side we have Kendrick Nunn who's been the seventh best scorer in the EuroLeague since round 11 oh yeah he's amazing he's been averaging 16.2 points on 48 two point shooting percentage 37 three point percentage he's he's Perfect from the free throw line. He ha hasn't missed a free throw mm -hmm. since round 11. Okay, he makes 3.4 turnovers per game compared to 3.1 assists per game. But you, you could see an improvement in his game. You can see that he's forcing the game less. He's, he's making more mature decisions. And uh, as you mentioned, I really like his uh, duo with uh, Kostas uh, Slukas. And you can have hopes that he will be even better for the last part uh, of the season. I wouldn't say better in numbers, but better in decisions and percentages and turnovers, uh, making less turnover, turnovers and just being more solid uh, player in Panathinaikos. Yeah, he looks like the guy that Pao needed. Uh, a scorer that can uh, just 
take the ball and score one-on-one, score in the pick and roll. He has this, you know, uh, mentality in Europe that he needs to be the guy. And um, he's doing a great job. Uh, as I said, maybe he's not the most efficient yet, but looking at his shape, uh, especially physically, I think he's going to be only only better as the season progresses. Okay, so it was, I would say, arguably the game of the week that we had, Panathinaikos mm-hmm. and Partizan. And we had three games which eventually, you know, ended up in blowouts where I would say these were surprising blowouts to me. Uh, I mean, FS, they surprising? FS winning against Barca by 24 points. Jalgiris, they didn't, I mean, Fenerbahce didn't have any chance in Konas. And yeah. you, you're, usually you're that not. Was the, the, the real, that was the real game of the week. By okay. the way, okay. by the Euroleague. Ah, okay, okay, I see, I see. Uh, and then, then the, there was Monaco. I mean, and, and Real. It was again, again, one-sided game. I would say uh, before we go deeper into any of these games, I would say that this week, in particularly, was the most influenced by injuries we have this season. Okay. If you think, if you think about it, Fenerbahce didn't have a power forward in their roster. Real Madrid didn't have Walter Tavares. You know, um, the other teams. Partizan didn't have Kevin Punter. Yeah. Olympiacos didn't have Mustafa Fall. And I'm forgetting for sure right now because I don't have notes of all the injuries, but just with just what I remember right now. A lot of teams missed their uh, starting players, let's say. And I think it had a huge impact on, on, on this week's results and I think that might have Tornika Shingelia is out okay for Virtus as well yeah. so injuries are piling up and we are in the second part of the season already it's good that we will have this break uh, mm-hmm. in the in February so hopefully players can return and and you know teams can be at 100% to finish the regular season but at the moment I think injuries are are influencing a lot True, but that's why they're building those eight, 18 man rotations, yep. 18 man rosters. So mm-hmm. you cannot complain. There are, no, there's not, no, no space for excuses. I mean, not referring not to you, just, but, but yeah. to some teams and to some coaches. So, mm. uh, which Where do we team start? you would like to start with? I know Zagris Fenner was was an, an amazing one. Obviously, even before the game, when I saw that, uh, Nigel, I knew Nigel Hayes Davis is out. But they, they, I was surprised to see him in a hotel. To be honest, there was a funny actually story. Arthur Jagers also. I mean, yeah. I was waiting for Scott Bilbekin in Fenerbahce's hotel, and I see like Nigel Hayes Davis is doing something right yeah. there. Arthur Jagers, what the hell is going on? And uh, Nigel was the first one. I was I was in Jalgir Arena early, mm. and uh, Nigel was the first one to come onto the court with his jersey on and on all that stuff to do warm up. And Andrea Cinqueri is like. He freaked out. Walks out and, yeah, for once he he freaked out and like, what are you doing here, man? You know. But of course, Nigel wasn't playing. And when I saw that Fenner doesn't have any, don't have any power forwards, I was like, it's going to be super hard. How are they going to do? Because is Dyson going to is Dyson Pierre going to play forty minutes, and you're going to play Goodrich at the free for most of the game, or are you going to play with two centers? And we all know how those centers are defensively. And Jalgiris just went, took, uh, you know, took all the opportunity there. Uh, Fener started the game with two centers. And one interesting stat from that game. Jalgiris had seven possessions 
where they passed the ball in the pick and roll to the rolling center seven times. They scored all seven. This okay. says a lot to you about uh, Fenerbahce's rim protection. And mm -hmm. of course, it has a little, it had a little bit to do with the short roll situation where Lourinas Birutis was amazing once again. The guy, if he played only against Fener, he would be the most paid player in the EuroLeague, I think. <laughs> and uh, But when Fener switched their defense and didn't play the, the hedge, they were dropping in some situations. Lourinas Birutis or Kevarius Hayes are just faster. They're just rolling to the rim faster. It's a lob. Schalgris had a, had that a couple of times. So seven possessions like this, 14 points. That was amazing. And just one more yeah. note about Schalgris' offense. I love what Trinkeri has has do, has been doing. And the, there were so many off-ball situations in that game, especially for Brady Manic. From the very first play, it was yeah. an amazing uh, set for Brady Manic. But even, even in the games before, recent games, like when, when Trinkeri took over, the, the first thing you notice as, is that ATOs, the after timeout special plays, it can be the first play of the quarter or whatever after that timeout, there is so much more variety. Like it is just more creative, more stuff. Teams don't know what to expect. And it feels like I'm watching Shogun Siskevichus again, you know, uh, coaching Jalgiris. And it's not a, you know, it, it's, it's a comparison. Just in the way Trinkeri and Sharas are similar and how they approach the after timeout play, after timeout plays, they always have something up their sleeve. And uh, you can uh, watch the replay of the first possession in the fourth quarter. It was a set for Brady Manic and Tyler Dorsey uh, was uh, again uh, targeted in off-ball defense. He was spinning around like this in the defensive, just not understanding where the screen is coming, who is going, and and Brady Manic, bam, hits a free, and then Sharas. Uh, immediately caught in the replay just doing like this. It's over. It's over. Like he understood at that point that the game was the game was done basically. You know, regarding your comparison, let's be honest, Andrea Trinchieri is the best foreigner coach that ever hired by Jargiris. And I was disappointed and I was mad about this wave of unhappiness and anger that was behind Trinchieri's appointment. I know that it's coming with, you know, Kazis Maxvitis uh, firing. That's what I said. But at the same I, I time, suddenly people also kind of transitioned that hate on Trinchieri as well. They called him, oh, that Italian, you know, uh, that storyteller and whatever. And they were missing this huge thing that he's he's amazing X and O guy. Mm -hmm. He made a difference with mid-budget team in Bayern Munich, getting them to the top eight twice. And that's what he's known for, these tactics. He's one of the best and uh, brightest basketball minds that we have here in the EuroLeague. So to, you know, to welcome the coach this way, to me, it was it was unfair. And I'm happy that he's proven, he's proven himself. I just didn't expect him, you know, to be teams like Fenerbahce. But, you know, when I when I see Sharas uh, coming back to Konas, it, it feels like when he left Jargiris, in his contract, in his, I don't know how, how you call it, parting ways agreement and whatever, there was a clause where Sharas promised to lose every game when he comes back to Konas. Mm. Because every time Jargiris played Sharas' team behind the be, be fans, because there was this game uh, during the COVID era with no fans, the very first game of Sharas, and I think that Barca won that game. But all the mm. other games by, led by Sharas, uh, all those teams lost, and Jargiris won those games.
So I think it, there should be, <laughs> we should do some investigation on that. Okay. Uh, but uh, regarding Brady Manic, I mean, again, the very first play, it was basically a triple screen to put Brady Manic in a position to uh, to make an open uh, three-pointer. It was a great tunnel for Brady, and I, I don't remember who was targeted. Probably it was Scotty Wilbicken or, or Tyler Dorsey. Um, amazing sets, uh, great look created for Brady. And you can just see how much... Andrea Trichieri believes in him. And I heard that he has really high hopes on Brady Manic, a lot of ideas for Brady Manic. And you can expect some, the best version of Brady Manic uh, actually, you know, with mm. Andrea Trichieri at the helm of, of, of Jalgiris because uh, he really believes in this guy. And you could see that he put Brady Manic as a freeman in some situations. He was like defending Nicolatis. It was the second quarter or the third quarter, I don't remember. So he has you know, huge variety of ways how to utilize Brady offensively and also how to, uh, how to hide him in defense. So that's, that's something very interesting to watch. I would say that, you know, Brady is a specialist and uh, that's why offensively you can use him in so many different ways. Uh, and uh, I'm actually doing an article about Jalgiri's changes with Trinkieri today. It's probably going to be out tomorrow for the BN Plus members, so you can check it out because I'm going to be going in-depth about all these changes, not only about Brady Manic, but, you know, he uses him in so many situations because he's a shooter at the power forward position, and that's such a luxury. It's also He's also a great passer. Uh, I watched the domestic league game yeah. against Chole, and there was a set from him where he is, he's playing like a fake post-up. He gives the ball back. It is called a grenade play. And he goes to the to the flare screen at the top to get a three pointer, and he kind of has an open shot, but he sees uh, Lorinas Birutis cutting to the rim. Boom! Bullet pass. Birutis gets a dunk. So he can you can use main manic as a post up guy, uh, you know, fake post up guy, pick and pop player sets for him off ball, which we saw in Fenerbahce. And you know why why he did that? Because we have to look at that also because Fener is one of the worst teams defending off ball situations according to the advanced stats. So you had, Jalgiris had a perfect game plan. Fenerbahce were dealt a bad hand because of all the injuries. They had to play lineups that they never played before during this season. But uh, you don't lose by 23 points only because of injuries. The other team did great. And I think uh, we praised uh, Jalgiris for that. Uh, Monaco Madrid. Huge win by Monaco. First of all, to me, it was super important win for Sasha Bradovic. We were just like going through the list of head coaches who might be on the hot seat. Some mm -hmm. of them, they were already rumored to be on a hot seat, like Roger Grimao or uh, Erdem Jan. But it felt like nobody was talking about Sasha Bradovic. And when you looked at their situation in the standings, they were almost like a 50% uh, team in the EuroLeague. Mm -hmm. And they're facing a tough schedule. And when I saw their schedule, like, okay, Real Madrid is coming to Monaco. Then they're going to FS uh, in Istanbul. They're hosting Partizan, Fenerbahce, visiting great Virtus team, visiting Barcelona. I mean, that's a tough stretch. And I was like, okay, if, if they start losing games, what's going to happen with Sasha? And he delivers with blowout win against Real Madrid. So that was yeah. very important win for Sasha Obradovic. Obradovic. And, you know, who else if not Mike James is showing up in that game when it matters, when it really matters. And, you know, watching that game, I really felt like it was one of the best 
outings of, of Mike James, the way he led his team, not just in scoring. It was one of his lower scoring performances, I would say, 15 points by Mike James standards. He could easily score 30. But the way he was assisting, how sharp he was, timing of his decisions, of his passes, and defense, how focused and committed he was in defense, not letting Janan Musa to create anything in one-on-one -on -one situations, catching all those hidden gems by Facundo Campasso, you know, being in the right spots to kill those uh, yeah. unexpected lobs. It was huge. And in the very first quarter, he had seven points and six assists. And I think that with his defense, with his offense as well, he set the tone for the rest of the game and also for, for his teammates uh, to perform better and to have this great confidence from the jump, which was which is always important when you play against Real Madrid. Do you remember how the first game between these two teams finished? Mm. When they played in Madrid? Did you watch that game? I don't I have a very short memory. It was a blowout game for Real Madrid. Uh. It was it was thirty point okay. I think difference. Yeah, yeah. And when you it, mentioned it, me it ended up, in Madrid, I always remember Eddie Tavares, you know, and this Mike James yeah, this, this was one. This was last season yeah. already. But it was another blow, blow, blowout game. Uh, just at that time, it was for Real Madrid. And I think Monaco and Mike James, you know, Mike hears all those conversations. The MVP talks, I think, you know, Facundo Campaso being the MVP contender because Real Madrid is, are winning so many games. I don't know. It felt like this game in Monaco meant much more for Monaco than for Real Madrid. Of course. Uh, Real did lose a domestic league game during the weekend to Murcia, I think. Uh, not this weekend, but the weekend before. And to me, they're looking kind of um, sluggish at mm -hmm. the moment. And Monaco's energy in the first quarter, you know, they outmatched Real Madrid with their energy by, I don't know how much, but it was a big, big gap. And it was crazy because John Brown was not playing. Exactly. And you see them, you know, having some issues with the rotation and stuff, and you could expect them to lose at least, at least not to be so competitive effort-wise. But it it felt like when I was watching them fighting and hustling, it felt like that John Brown is somewhere here on the corner. He's also playing, you know, he's yeah. also helping. A lot of guys had great games. I would say most probably everybody who stepped on the on the floor. Um, and Mike had twelve assists. I did not see anything different from Mike, from what I've seen from him in this season. He has been absolutely amazing, except for the two games in in uh, in uh, in Greece, where he had to face Walkup and Ryan Grant and great team defense. And referees. And referees, <laughs> yeah. And But in this game, 12 assists, he didn't do anything different. Uh, his teammates just made shots, I think. That's Especially in the first quarter, you know. They started with a, a, a couple of three pointers. Two consecutive, yeah, uh, three pointers. One in transition, one in transition. The other one uh, where Real Madrid uh, helped from Mike James, uh, helped to Mike James when there was like two seconds remaining. Easy kick out pass, wide open teammate. How many times we have seen this from Monaco this season? Other guys shooting pretty wide open shots because somebody is helping off of Mike James. Uh, yeah. So. It, you know, finally, you have Jordan Lloyd coming back, very solid, 19 points, uh, four of six from the three-point range in 18 minutes. You know, you have other guys making three-pointers, Alfa Diallo, two of five, Yakubo Torah, three from six, great percentages from everybody.
Monaco shot 44% and made 13 three-pointers. Uh, Real Madrid missed a lot of open threes in the first half, I thought, and, Mo and Monaco just made those. And uh, uh, Madrid's transition defense was poor, I think. And, and, and Monaco, with their good defense, they basically didn't really see much trouble to, to score in this game. And Mike was fantastic himself, you know, scoring a couple of really tough shots uh, when he had a couple of isolation plays. The post-up against Gosser, uh, that fade-away, falling-away shot was was absolutely spectacular. So I thought, okay, this, this, this game meant more for Monaco than for Real Madrid. But that's the story of Monaco. If they're committed defensively, if the effort is there, if most of the guys are available to play, I mean, they can beat any team in the EuroLeague. But that's the thing, those loopholes in their effort and their defense, mentality, bad language, bad approach, sometimes that's what differs them from, from being the best team or just from winning games. And mm. this whole thing with Mike is very interesting because to me, it's all, he's also the best EuroLeague player this year. But if Monaco is going, let's say, if they're going to end up in a playing uh, group, yeah. I mean, is he going to get the MVP award? I'm not sure because they might go after Facundo Campasso, his individual stats and the team's performance, or Tornike Schengelia playing great season and having Virtus as a fairy tale team this year. So there's this huge, I would say, there's this huge challenge for Mike to get back Monaco on top to be recognized as the MVP without leaving any doubts uh, to Alberts. And it's not going to be easy. But yeah. if he's going to continue to play that way, if guys around are going to make shots, if everybody is also stepping up, we see Eli Kobo is back to Monaco's rotation. He's good. He apologized, apologized to the team. You know, he understood his lesson. He's everybody, everyone else. They're just moving forward. I love Jordan Lloyd's T-shirt. If you saw before the game, he had this T-shirt with Okobo face and it was said, Oko boss. It's some T-shirt from Okobo's camp that he had in France, I think, a couple of years ago or something okay. like that. So it was I, I, some great stuff. I would love to have that stuff uh, again here in this studio. You hey, look on the he's on the record. I already heard you asking for two Monaco jerseys. Oh yeah, no, no, no wonder, no wonder they're calling you. You know, man, royal Monaco hoops. Fan. That's some amazing stuff, man. Okay, so for anyway, sure, I'm going to get that one, but. And it was fun just last night. It was fun seeing the the trio of Lloyd Okobo and uh, James playing together again. One of their best lineups in this game was uh, Mote Yunas, Cornelie, and those three guys uh, together on the court. It happened in the second quarter, I think. In only three minutes and 40 seconds, they outscored Real Madrid by nine points. So, you know, when you have shooting, everybody that can shoot around, those three guys, it's it's really hard to stop. Uh, you know who's also very hard to stop? By the way, can you put this Mike James assist? Amazing uh, pass. I mean, look at Poirier's oh, yeah. hands. Amazing look, really. It's I would say it's Campasso's pass. Oh, yeah, the way, level the way he assisting. He does this this yeah. slink pass. I love that play. When, when, when I watch the game, when I watch the situation from from the you know middle camera, this pass didn't look so cool as we're watching the replay right now. And you could see from Mike's eyes that he noticed yeah. Blossom game being here, and he just saw an opportunity to put the ball in this way. It's crazy. <laughs> and I think Poirier is like, 
am I in the, in the, in the practice or where we are playing against somebody else? You know, is it is it Campazzo making this pass? But really nice, oh, yeah. nice, superb play by by Mike. Yeah, and the other guy who was really hard to guard was Rodrigo Bobois and an FS and Barcelona game. It was a weird mm. game because when you f see the final score, it feels like okay, so maybe FS they dominated the game from the early tip off like Jargiris did against Fenerbahce or Ma mm. Monaco did against Real Madrid. And I'm just tuning in, in the game and at halftime it's it's basically a close game and it's the end of the third quarter and it's a four point game. So what the hell happened? <laughs> and you see that Rodrigue Bobois actually happened. The okay. same way, like you mentioned, how Trinquiere targeted Dorsey, for instance, offensively and off-ball situations. I think that's that was the same way Howard M. John decided to wake up and destroyed, uh, destroy Barcelona with Rodrigue Bobois, targeting whether it was Jabari Parker or Willy Hernan Gomez. Uh, okay, Thomas Tatranski was on the court, but... You know, uh, Ardem Jan was doing some great sets, great situations for for Bobois, who who made a lot of good trees, a lot of good off-screen uh, trees that completely destroyed Barca's uh, defense. And once again, it was the same stretch when Jan Vesely was on the bench, and it hurt uh, really bad FS. But this this performance by Bobois, very important push to his team in that game, just reminded you know how sometimes underrated Rodrigo Bobois is as a player or was underrated as a player when the, in Vasile Mitic, in Larkins uh, and unofficial three-peat uh, era. And I also just checked stats of off-screen uh, shooting leaders in the EuroLeague. And I would say that Rodrigo Bobois is not uh, on the top. He's making top 10 in uh, off-screen attempts, three-point attempts or off-screen Shots made. Uh, and 20%, actually, 20% of his possessions end in the screen off situation. Yeah, and I think he's making, he's attempted attempting 1.5 off screen shots per game. Uh, and yeah, he's making the top 10. But what I've noticed, I've checked the, also the leaders uh, of this category. So Marco Bellinelli is on top with 37. Of course. Total off screens with 39% three point shooting percentage. The second, Marcus Howard, has 25. So this is a 12 three pointers difference uh, on the top. Carson Edwards is third with 19. Mm. And uh, Rodrigo Bobois is somewhere around with 14 or, or 15. So it's huge. It's 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 huge. But by the way, what's what was interesting to note is that. Uh, following their uh, accuracy from those situations. Timotei Luvavu Kabaro, who made 14 off-screen three-pointers, is shooting by 61%. Alec Peters is second with 59% in 16 maids. And Andreas Obst is third with uh, 57 in 16 maids. So I've just checked the most, mm. the best uh, percentages in this uh, top 10 uh, department. So yeah, that, that's how basically FS changed the game. Uh, utilizing Rodrigo Bobois offensively and doing good stuff defensively. And I want Mantas also to put another clip, which I loved a lot. Just look how Derek Willis is diving for the ball. The replay is, is even more exciting. And you, you could say that, you know, FS should have got this rebound. 
and Derek maybe just couldn't catch it, but look how he was trying to save the ball. This is the guy <clears throat> who is playing his third yearly game after an injury when he broke one of his, he had fracture in one of his fingers, I think, mm. and he was set to miss from six to eight weeks. He returns, and in his third yearly game, and I believe that last week was a double week, he's he's doing things like that. So that's the way of how FS should play and could uh, mm. should play in order to return to the play-in group uh, at first. Huge yeah. sacrifice by Derek. Williams. It wasn't he wasn't that far from getting that ball too. I yep. think that's true. That's but true. Uh, yeah, FS in this game, thirty-six to sixteen, ended this game with a run. As you mentioned, it was a four-point game. They ended in 36 uh, versus 16 points. And I just saw the clips of Rodrigo Bobois, some great set plays. Yeah. Barca, just as I mentioned, Barca looked like Tyler Dorsey there. They were confused, completely confused. How, how do we do? If he curls around the screen, do we switch? Yeah. Do we stay against Dario Brizuela first? Then, you know, Dario Brizuela gets stuck on the screen. Lack they, of communication they, with they, Hernan Gomez. Yeah, they switch with Hernan Gomez. He just flies by on the fake, easy three-pointer. Then Satoransky goes under. Uh, then they help from Bobois, who already has like 10 points in a row. So, yeah, some some great plays by by FS. And, uh, yeah, Erdemjan is holding on to his, to his spot. You know, when they need a good performance, they get a good performance. If they can show some consistency, I think um, he will be great. Uh, last but not least from the last week's action was Nikola Mlotinov getting these crazy numbers against Maccabi Tel Aviv. If you didn't have Milutinov in your fantasy team last no last week, I don't know what you were doing. Like Mustafa Fall was, you know, you knew he had his injury. You had to have him as your captain. And uh, what a performance. 20 points, I mean. 20, re- re- 20 rebounds, 9 offensive rebounds included. 40 PAR plus 28 in almost 32 minutes. Uh, I've checked some, I've checked Only history books. Only the fourth performance of 2020, right? The third. The third. Okay. Uh, the first one, and the first of all, Adonis Fotsis holds the record of total rebounds. He had 24 in 2007 uh, in a win, and it was overtime win against Treviso. And he also had um, he had 22 points, 24 rebounds, 9 offensive rebounds, and 39 PAR in 42 minutes in 2007. Spencer Nelson was another guy with 2020 game. 23 points, 20 rebounds, 7 assists, and 50 PAR in Bamberg's wow. win against Treviso. Again, Treviso was built for having some historical for performances. Rebounds Not rebounding the ball. Yeah. And What's interesting, Fotz has got 24 rebounds while the entire Treviso team had 27. But yeah, Nicola Milutinov is just the first guy with 20 plus uh, 2020 uh, game in the last... By the way, he's the first guy with this 20 plus 20 performance in the last 13 years. The last wow. guy who had 20 rebounds in the EuroLeague was actually Donatas Matiunas when he was 21. So now he's one of in, those uh, EuroLeague wins. Yep, in Aseko Prokom. So, so yeah, that's that's rare. His numbers were rare, and but he, I mean, you're not surprised when you see Milutinov grab at 20 rebounds, and he joined the 
uh, there were only other nine games with 20 rebound uh, performances. I had all the list. Yeah, Adonis Fotsis with 24. Uh, Donatos Martinez and Mersad Trukchan had 21. Trukchan had it twice. Patrick Burke, Jordi Trias, Spencer Nelson, Dan Milojevic, and Stefan Pell also had 20 rebounds in the yearly history since 2000. So to me, it's just crazy that, you know, Militinov is used when Mustafa Fall is healthy, he's playing like 15 to 20 minutes. And, uh, the Olympiacos have a luxury that to have to these great centers, but at the same time, they have to share their minutes on the court. And you can say whatever you want. Like they are, they can be, you know, they can be exposed defensively because they probably often stand in the pain, but, but, the, but they were, they're both great at the same time defensively. I'm not saying they're bad, but, you know, my point is about, how little they have to play and how much they could play if they were on another team. Like yeah. they could easily be 25 minute players both. And one of these two guys just have to sacrifice those, uh, those minutes. And uh, the record is 24, you said? Yeah. All time rebounding record is 24. Yep. That's not that far away from 20 rebounds. And uh, Olympiacos plays at a low pace. That that doesn't help to get the record because if you were playing more faster, then you might have had the chance to gra grab more rebounds. But the next game is against Real Madrid. Olympiacos are going there. I'm really interested to see the numbers Milutinov will have in these next couple of weeks when, when Mustafa Fali is out. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe we are going to get a record. They are playing Alba, Alba, Alba Berlin next week at okay. home. Oh, it's, it's good you mentioned Real Madrid. Because last week we did this game with Dusko Ivanovic with Basconia, and we did it with coaches to honor the most iconic coaches that every Euroleague team had. In our personal opinion, or based on our personal experience, yeah. and this time we decided to go with the most iconic players of each Euroleague team. Mm. Uh, and this, I, I was inspired by Sergio Sergio Yui. Uh, becoming the all-time leader in Real Madrid's history uh, with the most uh, appearances <clears throat> in the club. He surpassed uh, Felipe Reyes and it happened two weeks already in the game against Basconia. He had his 1047th appearance with Real Madrid jersey, uh, combining, you know, EuroLeague, ACB, Copa del Rey games and etc. And I checked that actually... Sergio Yu is second all-time in EuroLeague in games played um, wow. with 395 games. Uh, and he's also first in game played games played for one team. As we started the podcast with Dirk Nowitzki, you know, somebody who played only for one team, uh, had an amazing career. You know, the same goes with Sergio Yu, who played only for Real Madrid. So... Let's go through the list of 18 EuroLeague teams and let's pick one player that we kind of, you know, think of him as an I, the most iconic player of that um, team organization. But so, just just guys, I'm like let's say we're not picking the most iconic player for every team. This is just our opinion. I'm yeah. probably going to be picking the guys from the last 10 
13 years because it's based on our personal experience yeah. because we cannot get into <clears throat> 90s because for yeah. instance there was milan probably we should associate milan with who dino menegin right i never saw dino menegin playing so for me it's this, hard to put him as an icon in my personal experience this is probably the icons of euroleague teams in the modern era let's say yeah more that's a fair that, point. that could be even though we mentioned like uh, Dan Peterson as the coach of yeah. Olympia Milano, who should be an iconic, but we haven't seen him. We just know from the history and from the people telling him about us. But this will be more of a you know recent bias we associate for sure, but yeah, who we normal. associate teams with. So uh, which team we are are we starting with? Uh, Real Madrid. <laughs> that one is easy. Sergio Yui. Sergio it has Yui. to be him the most games played as you mentioned yeah. uh he's been loyal most mandarinas uh, made most mandarinas made so. that was my next point i don't know how many times i've seen him i was doing um a video on milos recently on sophocles scorzenitis recently so i had to go through the some euroleague finals in like 2007 to, to from 2000s and 2010s and Every time I see Real Madrid play, and, and it's those three guys again, like Yui, Fernandez, and and Chacho there. It's like it doesn't matter if it's 2023 or or 2014 or or whatever. It's those three guys running there, and and Sergio Yui is just the most iconic guy, I think. Barca, easy as well. Juan Carlos Navarro. Yeah. What can what else? Needs to be the said here. Icon of Barca, the biggest nightmare of Zalgiris fans. Not only of Zalgiris. Come on now. Yeah. He he also just as Yui has the shot, iconic shot named after him, La Bomba. Yeah. You know one oh, ha yeah. one That's has true. mandarinas, the other one has Bomba. Uh, he had this 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 floater. He had this three point shot where amazing skills skill set. It's kind of it's kind of called the Navarro move. You know when you are just. Uh, getting your right leg in front of you and then a little step back. It's really hard to execute, but he did it so perfectly. He doesn't really, uh, you don't need much speed to do that, yeah. but it's just the footwork, the technique. And and he was European Steph amazing. Curry. He was the Steph Curry before Steph Curry actually happened. You I remember that. that Steph Curry also watched like Juan Carlos Navarro yeah. game. Mm. Uh, he has said that yeah. on, on, on record. Virtus Bologna. That's a tough one because have? we have a huge gap. Oh, Marco Bellinelli. Marco Bellinelli? Or no? Uh, because I was thinking about uh, Manu Ginobili. Manu Ginobili. Oh, yeah. Manu yeah. Ginobili. Wait. Manu Ginobili. But actually, I remember all this, you know, iconic Virtus team with Manu Ginobili, Antoine Rigodo, you know, Marco Jaric, Rashar Griffith, Matias yeah, Smodish. Yeah, yeah, um, Predrag Danilovic. It was huge. Alessandro Abio. Amazing team. Hugo Sconocini, I think. Was on that team as well. Yeah, it can be Bellinelli because he was playing for Fortitudo when he was young. True. So, True. so probably it's Ginobili. How how long he played there though? Uh, not that long. At the beginning of two thousands of his career, I I I believe he spent there like three four years. Mm, from two thousand to to two thousand two. Okay. So not that long, but. Hey, if you have, if people that are listening uh, have some suggestions, who yeah. would who would you pick uh, as your uh, as your most iconic guys for each team? But yeah. yeah, help us with with the Virtus one. 
for instance. Yeah. I think it will be harder than with some coaches that we had last mm. week, and you'll see why. In Pau's case, it's easy. Dimitris Diamantidis to me. Yeah. Of course, Diamantidis, even though Albertis. Diamantidis, man. No, I I, I know. Made a, he made so many clutch shots. Impact, yeah. He much bigger impact, but just, uh, I don't know. A lot of commentators in Lithuania when I was young used to say that, you know, oh, and there is Albertis, the icon of this team, you know. Okay. I don't know. I just because remember Because was still young probably and Albertis was a veteran, I, I yeah, believe. It could be. It could be. Could be the case. But of course, Diamantidis, so many, so many shots, so many great defensive plays, so many titles. What we're doing with Fenerbahce? Uh, to me, that's, that's a tough, tough one. one. Recent Sebias says that <clears throat> it, it can be Jan Vesely, Bogdan Bogdanovic, but I've just mentioned Mirsad Turchan in this historical rebounders list, and he was he was huge. Mm. But it, for me, it's it's hard to associate them with one player, and that also tells a lot about the Euro League. It's not the it was not the players' league. I would say it's not the players' league yet. It was always about dynasties, organizations, mm. and then head coaches. I have an interesting one here. Kaspar Skambula? <laughs> that would be an interesting one. <laughs> no, Meli Mamatoglu. Okay. He played there for from, two th- from from 2013. He is there. I know. I don't know. He's been there for so long. He's seen them win. He's seen them lose. He's seen them under so many coaches. I don't know. He's there when they need him. When they, he's ready. He's there make, for he's ready to make, he, he, I don't know. Or... If if not him, if the impact is too little for you, uh, Bobby Dixon, aka Ali Muhammad, this is this is legend. Re- this is uh, you know yeah quite recent memory. I'm not saying he's an icon for Fenerbahce, but definitely Fenerbahce fans remember remember him with great emotions and just he was amazing when he played for them. Obviously, you know you have. So, so many other guys. This is a tough from. one, so I'm mm. really eager to see what uh, Turkish fans will uh, will suggest mm. of yeah. putting in as an icon. Uh, Olympiakos. Go. I have Vasilis Panolis, to be honest. It feels like yeah, with yeah. him taking over, you know, they won the year league, which they didn't, like, they never won the year league before, right? Or I'm wrong. I might be wrong with this one, but at least there was this huge gap of uh, drought of titles and they they spend a lot of money they build huge budgets you know with Josh Childress's Linus Kleza Teodosic mm. Papalukas threw a lot of money that they didn't win the year league yeah it was a very talented team but Spanulis took over a little bit less talented team but guys filling roles uh, future stars you know showing up on that team and Spanulis was the leader so to me he he kind of He's the icon of that transition, of that chapter, of this new modern Olympiakos era. See, for me, it's also Vasilis Panoulis as the most iconic Olympiakos player, let's say, in modern EuroLeague. And I think us being uh, not Greeks, we don't care about the, the years he spent in Panathinaikos. Would you agree, Donatas? Like, us being Lithuanians, I don't really care. He, he played for Pau, so... And the things he uh, accomplished with Olympiakos, the stats he had, the clutch shots he had above, the, the, and the clutch shots are above and beyond everything else. Like he had so many 
clutch plays. He has been named uh, the most clutch player in EuroLeague history, and this is thanks to what he did for Olympiacos. So it has to be, it has to be Spanulis for Olympiacos for me. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't care to me, but you're not you. You care that he played in Pau. Uh, I just re- really remember that well that he played for Pau, and he was just one of those guys. Uh, because the team was about Dimitris uh, Diamantidis, Mike Batiste, and others. He wasn't the bus driver in Pana. For in sure. Pana. For sure. They had other car drivers. Good bus drivers, drivers in that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The right drivers. Right drivers. Uh, oh, the right drivers. Wait, 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 wait. Did you see Kevin Pangos and Brandon Davies? One of the best tweets of the season. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to see your reaction. It was camera. really good, man. It was really good. Uh, oh. <laughs> Monaco. The team that actually... They were created like 10 years ago, maybe. It has to be Mike James. It I has know. to be Mike James? Probably. Who else? D-Bost? I don't know, man. Come on, you're not associating D-Bost to Monaco. Like. Although he had some great... He, 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 he's one of the reasons why Monaco is here. He won the EuroCup. If I remember well, uh, right. But are you associating? Brand- if not him, are you we wouldn't Brandon- have Mike James in Monaco, probably. Brandon Davies, then. You know. Brandon Davies, Matthias Lazor. Uh, yeah, come on now. It's Mike. Yeah, it's Mike. It's 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 Mike. It uh, was created in two thousand eight. Okay, I thought that it was about two thousand thirteen. At least the, that's what Wikipedia says. Uh, they played in the fourth league in two thousand eight season. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting older. So, Dushkonia, <clears throat> is it Luis Cola? It has to be someone from those legendary times when they went to Final Fours and stuff. And again, we're talking about the team. You know, Thiago Splitter, mm. Luis Cola, Avidus Matsiauskas, I don't know, Pablo Pigioni, Elmer Bennett. Pablo Pigioni, maybe. He's an amazing point guard. What's the difference between Pigioni and how many years he spent in Basconia? A lot, probably. A lot. Six plus one plus one. So that's eight years. I don't know. I for it has to be probably for me it has to be Prigioni. Okay. I'm going with Scola. No, was, but Scola was there for yeah, for for even more. So Maccabi. That's a tough one because the first thing that comes to my mind with Maccabi, and of course, Maccabi fans will bring back those, you know, historical times with, I don't know, with local players. Mm. Uh, Odette Katash, one of them. I Now I just forgot all those legendary Israeli players, but there were some, you know, and they're associated with some of the biggest victories that Maccabi had. But the first thing that comes, with, that comes to my mind is the Maccabi Symphony, with Sharas, Anthony Parker, Tal Burstein, Nikola Vucic, and Maceo Boston. That team was just so great. I don't know. It, it my mind wants to connect Maccabi with uh, one of one player from from those years. Yeah, and to me, it's probably Anthony Parker. Mm. It has. It's either Sharas or or, or Anthony Parker, I think. Mm. And uh, Anthony Parker. At the time, I was a kid watching. It seemed like he was the Michael Jordan of EuroLeague. Yep. And he was doing basically everything. And I love Shara's passing and, and Shara's three-pointers and all that stuff. But Anthony Parker seemed like, I don't know, a god in, in the EuroLeague. They looked like Showtime Lakers, you know, Showtime Maccabi. And we actually did 
be a retro episode with with Maccabi, and so yeah. we're gonna br- bring back those memories and the greatness of Maccabi. <clears throat> Valencia, boy and Dublinovich. <laughs> yeah, probably. Who else? If not him, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Partizan is also interesting. Partizan is. Uh, I thought about uh, guys like Novica Velichkovic, for instance. I don't really know. It's so hard to say. This is where uh, the comment section should help us. Yeah. With Partizan, it's so hard. And especially when we're talking about teams that weren't frequently in the EuroLeague family. We're talking again yeah. about the huge gap between Velichkovic Partizan and now this current Jelko's Partizan. Mm. There's the huge difference. I'm trying to see the games played for. Do they have like this this kind of statistic? How many games you played for Partizan? We have such a problem with statistics, my, history my books. That's where Euroleague should improve. I remember there was one. I think it, maybe it was a BN Plus member that suggested us bringing in every episode to bring at least one idea how to improve the Euroleague. I think we're doing a good job, not even on purpose, but we're <laughs> bringing something that Euroleague could do better. Yeah. And improving their history books, all the historical lists would help a lot. You know to to dig in, deliver some interesting information, to check stats, to find the greatest, and stuff like that. So what's your pick? I'm going with Velichkovic, probably. Mm. You're not impressed. Mm. The first direction. Mm. I don't know. If you find it hard to find good um, good pick for Partizan, what about Zvezda, man? Uh, Brankolajic. Brankolajic also have he played the He played the most amount of games for them. Okay. And by... by by far, I have this. I actually found uh, for Zvezda, he okay. has played uh, more. This is okay. Statistics are correct through the end of 21 22 season. So we have two more seasons. Yeah, he's still but there. But still, uh, at, at that period, he had he had, had played for Zvezda at le- almost 700 games. In second place, there was Slobodan Nikolic, who had 430. So the difference is crazy, and Branko Lazic is still playing on top of that, and it's just the difference is is is, is too big. Obviously, you no, know, he doesn't have the biggest of roles, but so many years he has been the captain. I don't know who else, if not Branko, Milan, Milan, <laughs> Vlado Mitsov. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, I mean, again, it has to be those historical players, but I just didn't see them playing, so. Can't do much about that. The left-handed point guard who hit that crazy shot in the Italian leagues. Mm. Was it Curtis Gerald? Ger- yeah, Curtis who had that, the icons. Who had that crazy, crazy shot in the Italian league finals? I don't know. It's tough. Some, te- some teams are just so hard to, to come Especially up. Especially those who are not known as, as winners. The, the teams, you mean? As, uh, and at least in the EuroLeague, mm. on the EuroLeague level. For instance, we have Bayern Munich. This is Vlada Lucic team? Probably. Probably. It's tough. Mm. What about the FS? <laughs> Vasily Misic? Vasily Misic and Shea Larkin? I don't know, man. Nah, you got to pick one. Vasilya misses, I think. I mean, they, they, they have they had more success as a team before? Nope. 
before than uh, this recent run? No. That so, was actually the, probably the first or second time, probably the first time they made the Final Four. They have Mr. only two retired numbers, Petar Nomoski. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Kuno Simon. Yeah. He was there for five years. Mitic was there also for... For... Well... That's why we need your suggestions, guys. Really. Maybe Eric can help with this. He played there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jan Kunas? Probably. Yeah. You know, we just watched BN Retro with out of the Sabonis in a game. So uh, I still have this fresh memory of, of Sabas and MVP season that he had being 39 years old. Mm. So maybe, you know, especially knowing his history, that's at least that's the team where I know historical guys. And Sabas was, I love this quote by Dirk Nowitzki actually, that he thought that if Sabas was healthy, who knows, maybe he was the goat of, of European basketball, mm. European players in the NBA. So for this one, sorry, I'm going with Sabas. Okay. There's this recency bias. I'm sticking with Jan Kunas. Alba Berlin. Luke Sigma. Luke Sigma. Yeah. You know, what you see, Alba haven't won really anything in the EuroLeague, but it's just that we associate one guy with this team. I don't know, maybe... Like, for example, a team like Milano, if they don't switch the, all the players in three years, that's rare. Like, the players don't stay in Milano for, for, for longer. In modern era, how many players have stayed there for more than five years? Or four years, at least? Mm. They don't have in these... Messina's era. It feels like there's, you know, there's continuity. Yeah, but the guys but, like Kyle Hans, Nicola Melli. Previously, it was Luigi Datome. But you can't say Kyle Hans have spent more seasons in other teams. Yeah, true, true, so, true. So maybe after some time, I don't know if Siobhan Shields keeps playing in Milano for for three, four more years. You could you could say that uh, if they win something, but it's. Of course, we are probably forgetting something. And as I said, it's only about talking about modern EuroLeague. But yeah, definitely, probably there is an icon from old times. Who is Aswell Villarban icon? Uh, Tony Parker. Why Mantis is, is laughing? I don't know. What's so funny, Mantis? <laughs> Nothing. You have a suggestion to make? No? David Lighty? Charles Kahudi? Charles Kahudi. Probably. And those vets actually they earn the respect. I mean they deserve respect. Mm. So how long how long Charles has been there? I don't remember about Charles, but as long as I remember Asfeld, I remember David Lighty. From twenty fifteen. And Lighty. Let me check real quick before okay. we end this podcast. Uh so twenty fifteen. From 2017, but he has played two years before, mm. so they are kind of tight for for that. Yeah. So, so either one or the other. Yeah, so share your icons, share your suggestions. Yeah. Share. We are reading the comments, so please let us know what you think about, I don't know, our thoughts about not only about the icons of each team, but also about the games that we talked about sure. and discussed here we are always welcome to read it and to reply to you so and i have a feeling that in the future we're going to respond to some of the comments that we're getting in the podcast in the podcast right but what's for sure 
all those questions and the remarks are addressed. Uh, we have the platform for that or bonus Q&A sessions that we're mm. going to have this week. Hope with Veritas uh, as well. Uh, so we're going to put a tweet or something. You might actually address some of the questions that you have in the comment in the section comments, below this podcast. Yeah. So You can write the yeah. questions already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it.